about community today, uh, what it means to be a part of the, the family of God, uh, and not just like, hey, here's our vision at CTK Blaine for community. We want the, the what's a biblical picture, what's a biblical frame for what it means to be a community and what, what is the, uh, not just the, not just the uh, necessity, but the benefit of being in community. So we're going to look at that today. And like I said, our idea as a church is that we would be the church more than Sunday. That we're not, that, that church is not a magical gathering that happens once a week and we all come and we get filled up and we, we go home. No, like we are the church, right? Church isn't an event, it's us. We're it. We're, we're a church with a building, without a building. We're a church with a service, without a service, right? We just are the church. And um, so that is the hope, is that we could be more of the church that God's called us to be, um, that, that your attachment to the church doesn't just depend on Sunday, um, that after Sunday you go home, watch the Seahawks, which is great. I mean, Seahawks are great. Um, or close your internet browser and log off and check something else out. No, it, church is not an experience. It's a people. We're it. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, and talk about the need for, for community and, and the fact that we need to grow as disciples. And we actually need each other to do that. Um, as I look back on my life, I could give you a list of names of guys that God put in my life at the right time, at the right place, so that I could grow in faith. You know, I could list them off. Um, Jonah, Pablo, Scott, all these different guys that God gave me at a, at a specific time for a specific purpose, and that helped challenge me and helped me grow in my faith. And my prayer for your life is that you could look back and say, here's my list of names. Here's the people that walked with me through the good times and the bad. Here's the people that helped me find Jesus when I wanted to give up, um, when I had no hope. Here's the people that pointed me to Christ. And I want to tell you today that that's not something that just happens. God does put people in our life, but we also need open eyes and open hearts for that. Like, God, who are you calling me to, to, uh, to be in community with, to, to submit to? Um, who are you calling me to live life with at this point? And so it requires open eyes, and really it requires humility. If you don't see the benefit of being in the church, you won't get the benefit of being in the church. We actually have to see, no, we need each other. We need each other to, to build each other up, to challenge each other, to grow. We're all still growing. We're all in process. That's the beauty of church. There's, no one's perfect. Uh, no one's got it all down. No one has all the answers, but we're all seeking God together. And so my heart and my hope is that we be a church that reflects that. And as we talk about community today, we're going to be in a passage that at first glance might seem a bit odd to be in. We're not going to be in Acts 2. I'm sorry, guys. We're, we spent a lot of time in Acts 2. We gotta, we gotta, there's other parts of the Bible that talk about community. Um, we're actually going to go way, way back to the book of Ruth today. I love the story of Ruth. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And in the story of Ruth, we get an amazing picture of how God uses community and his people to change lives. And so we're going to look at, at Ruth today. And as we look at her story, you'll see what God can do when someone takes a step towards him 
and his people. So if you have your Bibles today, um, you can, or you can look on the screen, we're going to be in Ruth 1, starting in verse 1. And it opens this way. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites of Bethle from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. That's not Oprah, by the way. I just need to... <laughs> Oprah's not in the Bible. Just you guys need to know that. Sorry. Um, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So the story of Ruth begins with tragedy upon tragedy. So first we have a famine, a famine that drives a family out of their homeland into a strange new country. They're pioneers. They go to this country, they settle there, there's, there's more to eat, there's more there for them. As they're there, the husband of the family, the patriarch of the family, dies. And so in that day, that was a, not just a loss of a loved one, that was a loss of financial security, that was a loss of status, a loss of a lot of different things. Fortunately for Naomi, she had two sons who married, and then those two sons died. So it, it was just kind of this tragedy upon tragedy. Within 10 years of the father's death, both sons die, leaving behind two widows. So you can imagine that there's three widows who are vulnerable, they're scared, they don't have a way to provide for themselves, they're isolated, and they're devastated. And they come to a point where they have to make a choice. They cannot stay where they're at. They, the, the three women can't stay where they're at. They can't remain in devastation. They have to make some more difficult decisions. Because now they're a people without a place. They don't really have a home. And now they're brought together by famine and now grief. And I was thinking about this idea of devastation and famine this week and, and how that sets the backdrop for this story and, and you might be here and you may not connect to Ruth's story but I bet that you can identify with some sort of devastation or at least famine you might not have experienced like a, a physical famine in your life you might have food to eat but if we can be honest I bet all of us have experienced some sort of spiritual famine in our lives where we don't really, we're not really experiencing life uh, with God. We're not really hearing from God. We feel distant from God. And maybe that's progressed for a long, long time. Where we feel like we're in a sort of spiritual famine. And I know in the last 18 months, maybe some of that's been accelerated for some of us. That with everything going on, with all the, the chaos in the world, whatever, maybe you've felt a level of burnout that you didn't have before. I know what it is to burn out. It's tough, like when your body, body physically burns out. If 
and uh, it, it, it's, it's tough. Um, and so maybe in the last few months, you've been beaten down by change, you've been beaten down by fear, the, by the demands of life, all, whatever it is, um, we all at some point experience some sort of spiritual famine, some sort of distance from God. You know that place where it's really hard to pray, where it's really hard to open your Bible, where it's really hard to be honest with your friends about how you're feeling and what's going on in your life. And so the question is, if we're in that place, how do we get out of it? Because God doesn't want us to stay in that place, right? God doesn't want us to stay in a place where we're spiritually dry. He doesn't want us to be a withered vine like he talks about in John 15. He wants us to experience abundant life that comes through connection with him. And so if we're experiencing a spiritual famine, distance from God, we have to do something about it. We're faced with a similar choice that these three women are here. What are we actually going to do? We can't stay in the devastation. We need to take a step. And they had to take a step. And so here we have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth um, facing some tough decisions in the midst of their personal famine. So let's look at verse 8. So it says this, it says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So this is, a, this is the moment of decision, right? These are all the factors that lead into it. So Naomi is going to head home to Bethlehem because she has extended family there. She has connections. She's going to go back to her people, but she also recognizes that on paper, that's not the best decision for her daughters-in-law, who she loves. She loves her daughters-in-law, and it's painful for her to logically reason out why they shouldn't follow her, that they would have better chances of getting remarried and, and having support if they go back to their families of origin, even if that means marrying a Moabite husband who worships Moabite gods. And so they weep together. It literally means they wailed, like this was a moment of intense sadness. It was, they had come to a moment where they had experienced loss after loss after loss, and here we come again, another loss. And so they make their choice, and it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, meaning she kissed her goodbye. That was like the symbolic gesture of saying goodbye, but then it says Ruth clung. Ruth clung to her, meaning there was nobody who was going to convince Ruth to, to let go, to not follow Naomi. You can imagine Naomi trying to push her away, but Ruth clung to her. 
and she wouldn't change her mind. She was going to go with Naomi. And if you want to know why the story gives the answer, come to verse 15. This is Naomi. She says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. I don't know how you come after that statement from Ruth right there, but... Ruth was absolutely 100% determined to follow Naomi back to a foreign land to her, uh, a land that, that she wasn't familiar with, hadn't grown up in, uh, up in at all, and, um, and with a different God than what she grew up in in Moab. Um, Moab worshipped um, the goddess Ashtoreth and Baal. We, you had the, the sun god and the moon god and, and a pagan um, mythology there um, with some pretty um, pretty crazy uh, w forms of worship like child sacrifice like a very pagan religion but then Ruth experiences something new in in the household of Naomi and she says I'm going to cling to that I don't want the the gods of my parents I don't want the gods that I grew up with I want to stay with Naomi. Naomi had nothing to offer her. Naomi had no financial security. All she had was a connection to the truth. All she had was a connection to God. And through the last 10 years, Ruth had seen this. And she said yes to God in this moment. And that's why she clung. If you contrast this with Orpah's choice, Orpah chooses what is familiar to her, her, her old community, her family of origin, but Ruth embraces the risk and the pain of leaving home and binding herself to God and, her, and his people. She says, For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. You, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. That's all she had. All she knew was a, was a glimmer of the truth. And I would wonder today if we actually have a similar choice that we have to make as a people. Um, what if the pull of things like familiarity and even family of origin can become an idol that keeps us from pursuing God all the way? Um, and I'm not, I love family. I, I, I'm not trying to talk bad about um, my family or any family. We're called to love our families. It's, it's our primary um, responsibility and ministry to love uh, the families that God has entrusted to us, specifically our spouses and kids. Um, but at the same time, the appeal of staying in what's comfortable and staying with what we know um, can pull us away from a, a pure pursuit of Jesus. We can have these competing loyalties. We can want to please God and go all out for God. And sometimes that, that conflicts with pleasing what our family would like. 
um, what our parents might like, what our siblings might like, what our close friends might like. And one thing I find fascinating about Jesus' life is that his immediate family didn't get what he was doing at first. They didn't get it. Um, There's this interesting story in the book of Matthew where Jesus' mother and brothers interrupt him while he's preaching. Or they come and they ask for him while he's preaching, and this is what happens. This is Matthew 12. It says, While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That would be really offensive to a lot of people. This fact that Jesus said, actually, no, I'm more connected to these followers of God than my immediate family. And here's what I want to say. It's not that Jesus didn't love his family. He didn't, it's not that he didn't love them, but it's clear where he sets the priority. It's clear where he sets the priority, that his priority is actually in his connection to the family of God, to the family of God, to be with the ones who are doing the will of the Father, to just desire to be with those who are are doing the Father's will. So does Jesus cut ties with his family? No. He doesn't cut ties with his family. And what we see is when he prioritizes the family of God, that they eventually come around. They don't disown him. They don't walk away. Uh, His mother Mary follows him. You you might remember the scene at the cross where Jesus actually asks his disciple to take care of his mother Mary, where he's at the cross. His brother James becomes the leading figure in the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts um, and writes the, the book of James in the New Testament. So, It's not that he was disowning his family or didn't have a plan for his family at all. He just had priorities in the moment. And personally, like, I would say this, like, both Bonnie and I love our parents and and our uh, siblings a lot. They're all wonderful people. But we actually don't live in close proximity with them. And it's not because of choice. It's just because of calling. It's because God called us to blame. It's because God wanted us here, and we know that, and the evidence is, is that when we took steps, God honored those steps, that God, God blessed that. I'm, I never played football growing up. I'm coaching a flag football team now, and we won yesterday 49 to 7, so that's right, third and fourth grade flag football. It's great, and, and I'm the assistant coach, kind of minor, you know, minor difference, but it's pretty fun. You know, um, no, but like more seriously, like like Bonnie's job and, and different things like we've seen God bless steps. And that's nothing like we love our families like we absolutely love our families. Um, but for us, we've had to make some choices um, that that put us a few hours away. Um, and going back a few centuries, Ruth made her choice, even though. Um, Naomi had little to offer, even though she couldn't provide financial security, even though going to a foreign land um, as a woman, she'd be especially vulnerable at that time. She decides to go ahead and do it and just see, just see what God might do. And you know what? God does a lot. 
God does a lot in her life. In fact, the rest of the book is about how God honors Ruth for making a step of faith, for taking the plunge and moving towards him and his people. And I want you to, you to know today that God will honor your steps of faith. They may not be easy. They may be difficult. But God, if he calls you to do something, he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you hanging. And so faith is taking risks, believing that God will honor that risk. Believing that God will come through. Not moving in fear, but moving in faith. And so when Ruth takes the leap, the first thing that she finds, if she has a checklist of needs, the first check is safety and provision. We see as Ruth takes a step towards God and his people, the first thing that he provides for her is an answer to physical safety and protection. Um, as as uh, you might know, if you've read the story, one of Naomi's relatives is a man named Boaz. And Boaz comes on the scene, um, probably the best name in the Bible, in my opinion, Boaz. Um, but it just so happens that Ruth goes to his field to glean, and in, in, in that day, gleaning was what uh, poor people did to survive. Um, there was a stipulation in the Old Testament that allowed poor people to come to fields and, and pick grain as they needed on the edges. So that was part of like God's provision for the poor. And so she just happens to choose this guy Boaz's field. And I love this conversation between her and Boaz in chapter 2. He says this, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Um, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young man not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love this dialogue here, because what, what Boaz is saying is that God has honored your faith. God is, is going to repay you for your faith, a full reward given to you by the Lord. Obviously, God has been speaking to Boaz, like on the same page here. And so as she asks, why have you shown favor? It, he points to God and says, it's, it's because of your faith, because you made God your refuge. See, we're tempted to make a lot of other things our refuge, right? When we get stressed out, but because she made God her refuge and not the old ways, not the old things, she was honored. So she finds that security. What else does she find? She finds faithfulness and love. Um, we could do a full series on this. This is actually a love story. So a, a little thing develops between Ruth and Boaz. Um, and, and I wish we had time to go through it all. But, but, but Ruth talks about Boaz as a kinsman redeemer, which at that time it was God's way for looking out for widows. And, uh, and, and basically the, the, the wife would go to the kind of the next 
man in the line type thing. And uh, Ruth discovers that Boaz is a part of that line. He's not at the top, but he's, he's there. And uh, she actually proposes to him. And, uh, and Boaz agrees and works everything out, and they end up getting married. It's pretty cool. If you have time to read it, it's a great story. Um, so she has faithfulness and love. Um, and finally, what do we see in Ruth's life? I love this part, fruitfulness and legacy. Chapter 4 ends by describing the, the fruitfulness and legacy that Ruth has in this story and I just want to read this blessing. So after they figure everything out, as Boaz and Ruth are getting married, um, as Boaz redeems, is the uh, redeemer there, the kinsman redeemer, um, the elders of Bethlehem get together and they speak this blessing over Boaz and Ruth. And they say, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So they're speaking to, all these characters they're speaking to are, are um, figures with an immense legacy. Big family, like in the past. And so they're, they're saying, we want the same for, for Boaz and for Ruth, that that Ruth, who came out here on faith, is now going to be part of an incredible legacy, incredibly fruitful, and this is a prophetic blessing because um, she and Boaz become parents to Obed, who's a forefather of David, who's a forefather of Jesus. And so it's this powerful redemption story that foretells the greatest redemption story. It's, it's pretty powerful. So that's, that's Ruth in 20 minutes. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty amazing story, and I just, I just want to bring it home this morning. I just want to bring it home. I don't think you can go wrong by taking a step towards God and his people. By taking a step towards God and his people, by opening up your life to how God might lead you in community. And your story may not look like Ruth's story, but I do think that God will honor your faith as you step towards him and his people, as you, as you uh, value the church, and as you find your value as a part of it. That you will discover more and more who God created you to be, what your purpose is, and what the plans that he has for you. That you'll discover that in community, that you'll be able to grow and encourage and equip as you are also grown, encouraged, and equipped yourself. And so I'm not here this morning to use the story of Ruth and say, okay, join a small group. Like, that's, that's a little much. But what I'm saying is, think about the step that you need to take in this next season of your life. Think about the step that you need to take. Is there a person um, that you, God's calling you to disciple, or are you recognizing yourself that you need someone in your life to mentor you and walk with you as you experience challenges? Because what I want to say is that community is something that God uses to build us up, to build us up in Christ. That he didn't, God's plan was not to just give you a Bible and say, figure it out. But God actually gave you a community to grow in, and the, the, the results are more fruitful lives and a more fruitful legacy. 
Um, one thing that I love about community is that it's not just about you. It's not just about you. It's about, it's about your, your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your friends. Everybody's blessed when you're more connected. I know as a parent, um, I want my kids to know more Christians and more of like Christian marriages and Christians in other workplaces than just ministry. You know, it freaks me out that my kids are pastor's kids. I'll be honest with you, right? There's a connotation that comes with that, right? Like, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, it can be boom or bust, you know, sometimes. And, and uh, so for me, like, I want my kids to know, like, Christians who work in the workplace and, and like, are mechanics and, like, are living out their faith in a different context, right? They're living out their faith in a, in a different way. And I want the same for you and your family and your friends. And so, yeah, we'll, we're going to offer some opportunities for you to get connected this fall, and I pray that you take them. Um, that's why we put a card on your seat. I don't want to, I already kind of talked through what, what they all are, but just pray about, God, what are you calling me to in this next season? Who are you calling me to? Where do you want me to land? <laughs> Who do you want me to be with? Because we are the church. The church is not a Sunday thing. The church is an everyday, all-the-time thing. We are the church. So I would just ask, consider that step that God is asking you to take in this next season. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful uh, for the encouragement of the story of Ruth. Lord, for a picture of your grace, for a picture of faith. God, for a, for a picture of blessing. God, I'm, I'm thankful, God, that, that we can glean from that story. And God, I pray that you would give us similar hearts of faith. And Lord, I don't know what you're calling every person in this room to in this next season, but God, I pray that you would challenge us to live um, more for you um, than for anyone else. God, that you would help us to live more for your approval than the approval of anybody else. Lord, that we would seek, um, seek to be with those who love you so that we could better love you ourselves, that we could be more fruitful. Lord, that we could leave a legacy. God, that we could find in what you provide security and strength. God, and so allow us, Father, to be a church that builds each other up, that intentionally seeks each other out. God, that cares Help us to be a church that, as Paul said, puts others' needs before our own. And Lord, that can be hard to do today. God, there's a lot that um, we fight just internally and externally. And I pray, God, that you would just help us um, to fight the good fight. Lord, alongside brothers and sisters who love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.